Hello and welcome to these audio recordings from Project Echo, Westwick PHN Hub, COVID-19 Pandemic Response Echo Network Series. Series 5, Session 4. It's Thursday the 10th of June 2021. And welcome back to Echo Network. This session is titled Vaccine-Associated Thrombosis, Recognition Assessment and Management in Primary Care. We're going clinical today. After a slow start, vaccine demand is up, uh, up and uptake is increasing in Victoria. Work's been done in the um, resident and worker space as well as the disability space um, to catch up and cover these communities. And we'll continue to con uh, follow the conversations about just who's doing what and how many might need to still be done um, and how that's being managed. And, and we'll, we'll give you that update at the end. Now, while under 50s are able to receive Pfizer, supplies are slow, but more is coming through and many may face some um, access barriers still. Uh, and, and of course, there's some more news about what's happening in the primary care space with Pfizer coming up. Um, for, the over the, for the over 50s, the risk benefit analysis has changed and pleasingly demand and uptake has increased. But for others, uh, hesitancy is perhaps being expressed in more demanding ways. So we've got demanding hesitancy. Uh, how can we best build our patient confidence in accessing the available AZ vaccination at this time? While a rare event, how will we recognise, assess and manage vaccine-associated thrombosis? And in the more likely event that a patient um, presents with other thrombotic events um, and, and, and might um, coincide with vaccination, how do we appropriately manage it in the safest way? So this morning, we'll be unpacking the new guidelines for assessment and management and considering how we might apply these guidelines in our varying contexts across the West Victorian regions. Um, what's on the agenda? Well, we've got Associate Prof. Deb Friedman, Medical Director of Infection Prevention Control and Response Unit at VicDH um, and also ID Physician at Bowen Health joining us again. Thank you, Deb, to provide an update. Deb will um, is very busy, um, so we're really grateful to have her today and for her time, um, but Deb will be diving off. So um, what time are you diving off, Deb? Um, maybe pop it in the chat because if you've got any questions of Deb, you might want to get them in early. Um, now we're going to change things up a little after that. Um, we're going to, instead of giving you our normal Health Pathways update, um, we've invited Kate Graham to present the guidelines as a didactic presentation. So we'll spend a little bit more on guidelines presentation this morning. And thanks to Penny Scott, who's um, come to going to give us a, a case. It's a hypothetical, but um, because Penny's seeing some of these high D dimers in with her hat on uh, in um, ED, we've put together a, a simulated case. It's going to help us kind of dive into those guidelines a little. Um, Cal Mags, I haven't seen him yet. Hopefully he's here, but he's coming along to... Um, to back up um, the panel and talk a little bit about this um, presenting problem. And then we're going to uh, give a good substantial time at the uh, in the last 10 to uh, Linda Govan to brief us on what's happening in the RAC and disability sector. So um, it should be a good morning. We'll start by throwing over to you, Deb Friedman. Thanks. Thanks, Bianca. Good morning, everybody. Um, so on the 10th of June, so with this current outbreak, we're up to 91 cases at the last count, and that included... Um, 74 cases that is linked to the City of Whittlesea local government area and to the Port Melbourne um, outbreak. Um, and that includes um, the, the what we're calling the Kappa strain and 15 cases linked to West Melbourne, which is referred to as the Delta strain. And both of these are subsets of the variants that arose from India. Um, the city, the... Um, City of Whittlesea local government area outbreak includes an outbreak at an aged care facility called Our Care Maidstone. Um, yesterday we were um, we did hear about another possible new case in Reservoir that had several different households um, potentially involved 
Um, so some potential for additional cases, and we're waiting more confirmation on that case. Um, so this totals 20,650 cases for Victoria and right now the end of the fourth lockdown. There have been, yesterday apparently there were nearly 20,000 doses of vaccine administered and the total number of vaccine doses has been 700,000 for the state. So that's total doses. So that means about 350,000 people fully immunised. Um, of the, um, the the other news that's come out was um, a woman who travelled from Victoria who's now subsequently tested positive in Queensland, um, travelled with her husband and has now been hospitalised on the Sunshine Coast. There'll be more information coming out about that. We don't know how this case would link with the others and what strain this case might be. Um, so I guess what is this all indicative of? What do we take away from this? It's still indicative of the biggest risk being spread from hotel quarantine. The Wooler case, um, which travelled to Victoria after um, completing hotel quarantine in South Australia, is the origin of the Kappa strain outbreak. And we know that that, that case has an identical genomic sequencing with case number five of the city of Whittlesea LGA outbreak. We know that the Delta strain origin is really fascinating and it reads more like a true crime novel than an infectious disease. But basically we know that it is a perfect match with a person who traveled from the Maldives to Victoria, who was a positive case and got put in what we refer to as a hot hotel for infected cases in the Flinders Street area. And we know that that links identically to a family in who lives in Melbourne CBD. They don't exactly know the link between the two, but we know that they're identical. Um, so what, what learnings can we take away from all of this? I think, you know, hotel quarantine overall, while it's been extraordinarily effective, we know that the risks can never be completely mitigated and we're living through that as are other states. Um, I think the other thing to take away is that viral shedding, just the same as that can occur in other viral illnesses, other viral illnesses where we know that people can shed virus through saliva, through faeces for several weeks after a viral illness. I think viral shedding can be more prolonged in some people. So if we take the example of what we're now referring to as the Delta case who completed a stint in a hot hotel after being infected, the, the assumption that somebody is not infectious after 10 days and three days symptom-free may need to be reassessed because there clearly could be ongoing viral shedding. Um, I think the other thing to take away from this is that as the vaccination gets rolled out further, um, this, um, this is going to really change the face of what the outbreak means to us. The elderly residents who've become infected, none of them are very unwell right now and um, some are fully vaccinated and some are partially vaccinated. So I think some of that is a good news story still and in terms of where we want to be, it means that pushing forward with vaccination is really um, the priority right now. And I think it's a, it's a good thing that you're focusing on what GPs they took out for in terms of side effects. That's all I was going to say this morning, and I'll have a look at anything that comes up in the chat. Thanks. With um, people having had the disease, they're presumably not going to need to be vaccinated, but is it going to be acceptable for them to just have a certificate, you know, for travel and things like that, um, to have a certificate to say they've had the disease um, at this point 
to be able to travel and do all the things that theoretically people who are immunised um, can do or will be able to do in the future? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. One would think, just the same as with things like chickenpox, that if you can say that you had um, infection that you would have natural immunity. In some countries, interestingly, the EU is bringing out what they're referring to as an EU sort of COVID passport, and you either have to show that you've been vaccinated or show that you've had previous infection to get that passport. So in some countries that would be allowable. What we do know is that so far in Australia, they're still recommending vaccinating people who were previously infected. So we're not excluding them. But in some countries where they may have had, you know, a million people who were infected, they may not necessarily vaccinate them. But in our country with sort of low number of infections, they're still being recommended for, for vaccination. Um, so I think it's going to, there's probably going to be some differences between the way that different countries view view native immunity as opposed to vaccination-induced um, immunity. Yeah. And I think with the, um, just with the vaccination of people who have been infected, at present there is a recommendation from ATAGI um, that these individuals wait six months before vaccination because we know that they do have that natural immunity. Um, one of the other issues um, that you do face is if an individual's immunocompromised, um, they may get subsequent infections because their natural immunity may not be as high. Um, and the other issue is that you can get reinfections with strains, um, with different strains, but those secondary infections tend to be milder. And what we're not hearing a lot about, and maybe Deb might be able to sort of say, is sort of with those different infections or milder infections is the shedding um, and whether they are at as high a risk of um, transmission to others. So put in the chat a question about, you know, if you are shedding virus, does that mean that you're infectious to other people? Excellent question. One of the things that went into the guidelines about when can cases be released was the I guess some, in some ways assumptions um, because they looked at about, you know, 10 days after the onset of symptoms and, and being symptom-free for about three days that people had much lower levels of viral shedding. And so the assumption was that it was very safe and they were very unlikely to be infectious. And when they tested them, those cycle threshold values or those CT values were very favourable in terms of unlikely to be infectious. Now, we think that that is valid because through the second wave, that's the way that we cleared people. However, I just don't think that this is a perfect science and I think that we just have to assume that there could be some people in whom that ongoing shedding could be minimally infectious but there could be occasional cases that result from it. And then there was a question about pregnant women. We're waiting to hear more, although ATAGI have now said they're high risk, and this has happened previously with flu vaccine. You guys, if you're old enough to remember some of the questions about flu vaccine and pregnant women, they get sicker if they get the flu. They're going to. Um, so right now we're just waiting to see the rollout. I think the holdup has probably been just making sure that there's enough Pfizer um, to to be rolled out. But I'm, I guess we're waiting to hear about that. Do we have any idea how long the vaccine's effective for and when boosters? Um, would or will be required. How long is the vaccine effective for? Yeah, do we have any idea yet? And uh, and then moving into that question about boosters. Yeah, so I, I can give an answer to that a little to a degree. <laughs> so um, there is so in terms of vaccine effectiveness between Pfizer and AstraZeneca, data from overseas 
looks like um, there's a drop in um, effectiveness and probably some uh, degree of immunogenicity uh, for both vaccines over uh, you know six to six weeks to three months, and then there's generally a plateau with the AstraZeneca effectiveness, and then the Pfizer continues to dip down beyond three months, but we're not exactly sure beyond that period of time. Okay, that's interesting. So we'll probably probably all need a, a third shot or another booster next year. Next year. And, and, yeah, okay. and so, so the question is, you know, is this going to be like the flu vaccine where we're going to have, you know, annual vaccination and, and it may well be the case? Mm, thanks. Cam, did you want to jump on? I don't know where, where you where you sit, but Cam, you're from Warrnambool, I think, aren't you, Cam? Yep, that's right. I'm not going to put on my video because it's too early for me. Um, Fine. Yeah, look, I guess um, my question just straights to to the um, the treatment that they were that we're using of you know, what point with vaccination increasing and certainly with most of the vulnerable should have been vaccinated by now. And is there going to be a trigger point where we can say, okay, we can allow a little bit of coronavirus in the community, coronavirus in the community and learn to live with it like we do with flu? Um, I, I guess you want me to answer that. Thanks, Deb. Yeah. So, you know, I actually think that in some ways that's more a political question than a medical question. If we had high rates of vaccination in you know, what we would expect is that we could live with cases occurring um, in the community as long as people weren't getting very sick from it. Um, the problem is that right now, we, we talked about this last week, the concept of being a zero country and how you move out of being a zero country. In some ways, it's like a change of mindset for everybody and viewing things differently. So I think that we're going to need to see some sort of changes in the narrative and the perspective of people. Um, but I think ultimately the goal is that you will have to live with cases in the community if you can prevent severe morbidity and mortality. That, that's, what I, that's what I think. And then that would mean that you wouldn't have lockdowns if you weren't having significant morbidity and mortality. So when we talk about herd immunity, of course, it's a community piece. But in fact, if we're just to prevent severe morbidity, mortality, it's a more of a risk parcel. So if we had a certain percentage of over X's vaccinated, um, you know, would that be like, is that, could we think of it in that way? I don't know what that's called, what I've just described. But if we had all our racks, well, a certain proportion of our over 70s, all our, you know, most of the disability population a certain percentage of the chronic disease, could we then say that, well, the health services could tolerate the smaller percentage of the younger crew potentially getting sick? I, I still see Australia as being very risk-averse in yeah. the way that you've just described. So I think that they would be looking more at high rates of vaccination across the board for people certainly above the age of 16 and possibly, I don't know what, whether Callum's got any whispers on whether or not it might go below that like it has in the Northern Territory. Yeah, sorry. So there, there is, I mean, there's safety data still coming out, but um, well, it's really windy here. Um, there's some safety data coming out, but I haven't heard any, any whispers about vaccinating younger cohorts um, yet. I think we're still trying to vaccinate all the other vulnerable Older cohorts. I think what we'll I think do one is of the one of the things is um, that uh, first process is the TGA approval, and um, the request for TGA approval for twelve to sixteen year olds has been submitted. Um, so that approval process will probably go through over the next month, um, and then from there it's that secondary cohort decision um, as to 
which phase of the rollout um, the children um, under 16 will then fit into and be included. I think we might um, aim for some time after the holidays, seeing if we can get some MCRI crew along. It'd be quite nice, wouldn't it, to see where they're up to around some of that and also um, talk again about the school closures piece. Actually, yeah, I mean, Deb, that's one thing I'd love to ask you. I know um, Fiona Russell published a piece around um, the school closures and wondering whether, you know, in future lockdowns it's necessary to close down schools. Again, I know we're very risk averse, but, uh, you know, with the, some of the stuff that's coming out from other countries, is there a potential in future lockdowns schools could remain open? I, th- I think the answer is we all hope so. Um, I, I think that on this occasion it's just this problem of a minimally vaccinated population right now, the feeling that the kid at school might not be sick but he'll give it to his grandma. So it was that kind of um, fear, I think. The hope would be that we don't have um, closure of schools and there have been some countries who have been able to navigate that and be able to keep schools open. So I think that certainly should be on the list of things that we would aim for. But along with that, that comes back to what we said before, that there's going to have to be a change in mindset and a change in the narrative about what it means to have cases in the community and that it shouldn't be a front newspaper story when you have, you know, a case in a grade five child, Mm. for example. Yeah. Mm, mm, Okay, thanks. So that concludes the panel presentation for this session. We'll bring you any other snippets that we can, but come along and join the discussion next week. All right, I'm going to hand over to Linda Govan now, who's going to bring us an update on what's happening in the RAC, resident um, and disability space in regards to vaccines. Morning, Bianca. Morning, everybody. Um, I'll give an update around general practice RACs and disability, starting with GP. There's GPs. There's been a lot of activity in the GP space Um, focusing on increasing the access or the allocation of AstraZeneca to the practices involved in the rollout, as well as um, in regard to the reach. So for this week, and we're sending out some comms today because it gets a bit confusing with um, with the the multiple um, changes that we see. But for this week and next week, um, all practices involved in the rollout are having their vaccine deliveries doubled. If you don't think you can get through through the the amount, you can contact the VOC and um, and cancel that one of the deliveries if you want to do that. But um, we're hoping that you can um, manage the extra amounts. Um, we'll also see some GP sites and GPRC sites having ongoing increased uh, uh, delivery of the AstraZeneca as well, just to manage the increased demand that we've been seeing. Um, in regards to vaccine transfer bet- between sites, you are allowed to do that. So if you need more, more supply or you have too much, you can share between the other participating practices and just send us an email um, around that and we can, we, we'll, we've got a list of who needs more who, or who wants to share. So, again, that's, that's something that's fairly new. That came in a couple of weeks ago. We also had a, a second EOI c- come out uh, a couple of weeks ago now and we've confirmed um, we've got 26 new general practices coming on board. These were focused in areas with limited access mainly, so not in Geelong and not in Ballarat but, but other areas across the PHN, so that's good. Um, <clears throat> and we've, they'll be on boarded starting uh, week 18, starting next week for 13 practices and another 13 coming on the following week. Um, and also that came out that came out on Monday morning, a Pfizer EOI. So if you're interested, and it was emailed to all practices, and if you're interested in having uh, access to Pfizer, you need to reply to us. For, for July, if you want it in July, you need to reply to that EOI by midnight tonight and we'll send the information back to the department by midday tomorrow. Otherwise, it is an open EOI. So when you feel ready to 
um, have access to Pfizer, you just need to notify us. Um, that email came out to all practices on Monday. So there's a lot of information. And again, if there's anything that you're not sure about, just send an email to our communications ge generic email and just put in the put in the, the subject line what you're concerned about. Is it, is it vaccine allocation or RACS or disability? Um, next slide, Gemma, thanks. So in regards to what's happening in the uh, private rec sector, by the end of the week, commencing the, the 21st of June, which is week 18 of the rollout, we will see all sites having completed both, both um, dose one and two, <clears throat> except with a few gaps in there, and I'll talk about that. So um, for the private racks with residents who have either missed doses, and it'll be the second dose, or there are, these are new residents who are new to the RACFs, we're really looking at a sort of a local solution-based approach to how we can we can address it. So we've, we've contacted all the rats. We've got a list across both Barwon and um, the Grampians region. It's not there's there's not too many, but they 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 are across the region. So our role has really been to coordinate. Um, and big thanks to both of the public health units who are providing inreach to some of those. Um, Epic um, Epic in which is one of our GP respiratory clinics. They've got some Pfizer, so they're doing some inreach for us as well. And also, I don't think we've got any GPs doing inreach at the moment. But again, for us, it's really looking about looking at what are the local options that we can tap into. And at the moment, PHU and GPRCs are really stepping up and supporting that approach. For staff, there we are really encouraging them to attend local hubs or their GPs um, just for consistency. It's um, really difficult if they're coming. Um, and getting one dose of Pfizer and then they're being asked to, to seek the second dose somewhere else. So it's real, our messaging has really been attend your local hubs um, for your vaccination. And just as, a, I guess, a flag for, for GPs in general, when you're in, it's because it's this group of patients or residents that are preparing to go into residential aged care, even if it's in the next six months, just thinking or making sure that they've had um, their COVID vaccination <clears throat> prior to admission. <clears throat> and then we'll... Um, we'll uh, see a, a real decrease in residents moving into aged care that haven't been vaccinated. In regards to disability, the focus for the PHN has been on residents over the age of 50 in supported resident in disability accommodation. <clears throat> over the past four weeks, we've been in touch with uh, the information we got from the Commonwealth, we've been in touch with the providers and have, again, really tried to, to match make solutions around uh, these residents getting access to vaccinations and, again, that's either been some GP in reach, not too much, GPRC support in Horsham, which is great. Um, and again, the local PHU really stepping up and, and providing solutions for, for this group as well. Um, for, the, for the client groups under the age of 50 or if they're in a disability supported accommodation and they're under and over 50, uh, that's the remit of the Commonwealth and Aspen are, are, are providing some support in that space. But also the PHUs, again, have been really, um, um, I've forgotten the word now, proactive and um, have, have um, been already in contact with a lot of the residents in these, in these accommodation sites as well. And a big thank you um, to the disability liaison officers at both of our major health services. Um, they are across the region. They know where the residents are. They know the providers. And for us, they've been a really great support in finding and sorting out these local solutions. So that's really what's happening in the disability space. If you've got any questions or if you've got concerns about a patient that you have who meets any of these criteria, just and you, and you can't problem solve access to a vaccine, if you want to just send it. 
our communications team an email in the subject line. Pop, pop, the, pop, whatever, pop whatever the topic is in the subject line and we can um, work with you to, to sort out a solution. So that's pretty much what's been happening. That's always something new every week. So it keeps us on our toes. Thanks, right. Bianca. Thanks, Linda. Oh, yeah, I am here. Um, yeah, things are pretty well in aged care. It's just the odd missed patient that um, has missed out on their COVID shot. It'd be, is there a specific, who's the specific contact that I can get hold of to arrange that um, if that's not being done through the usual um, routes? I would um, just email our communications email at the PHN and my, myself or my colleague Claire Dagley will um, contact you about figuring out a solution. No, no, it's a hand up. I just want to make one comment related to the earlier questions about vaccination in those who've had COVID. Um, it's probably going to be relatively rare, but if you do have those cases, it's worth warning those patients still have exaggerated immunogenic side effects because we have seen some people having really significant myalgias and fevers and so on. They really do feel awful, only for 24, 48 hours. So it's helpful to warn them in advance so their expectations are, are sort of set appropriately. Okay, that's interesting. Thanks. Okay, so give them a warning that they're going to have extra immunogenic side effects. Okay, lovely. Thanks. This series was brought to you by the West Vic PHN. I'm Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. I'd like to acknowledge the work of Gemma Misbach, Natalie Love, Fiona Quigley, Matt Dixon and Kate Graham for their work in coordination, support and contribution to this series. These audio catch-ups are produced by Gemma Misbach, myself and Jade Buller. Come along and join the discussions on Thursday mornings at 7.30am via Zoom. You can register on the West Vic PHN website by looking up Project Echo COVID-19. All sessions are RACGP and ACRAM accredited as a time-based activity and CPD certificates are available for non-GP participants. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.